0: What is going on guys? Welcome back to the Pit Limiter Podcast. is episode number 9. I'm your host Zach Buchanan. Joining me as always, John Poole III, aka JP3. What's up buddy?
1: Hey, not too much Zach. What's going on?
0: Uh, It's been a pretty interesting week in motorsports to say the least, I think. We've got a lot to talk about and it starts with
1: our first segment, Stop and Go. So, Christopher Bell wins... His first race at Bristol and his second win of the 2019 season. So Takuma Sato put on an absolute clinic
0: at Barber in the IndyCar race. He led 74 laps from the pole. Scott Dixon finishes second for the sixth time at that race. It's his eighth podium at Barber. Forday, Newgarden, and
1: Rossi round out the top five. Kyle Busch snookered the field and won at Bristol yet again his eighth time, third win of the 2019 season and 54th career win overall. So some sad
0: news for dirt racing fans, uh, there's no longer going to be racing at the Indiana State Fairgrounds as they've shut down that dirt mile.
1: F1 is talking about introducing a new qualifying format for next year. This new qualifying format would introduce a new session called Q4, and it would be a 60-minute qualifying session to set the field for the Grand Prix weekend.
0: So there's a lot of Dale Jr. fans out there, and they're going to be happy to know that Dale Jr. is going to be a part of the Indianapolis 500 broadcast. As a lot of you may know, NBC now has the rights to the Indy 500
1: this year, and Jr. is going to be a part of their broadcasting team. Some concerning news out of Nashville. Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway has hit two roadblocks in ongoing talks between SMI and Mayor David Bridley. Uh, They're talking about renovations for the Speedway. Uh, Two roadblocks they're currently facing are the finances of how they're going to fund said renovations. And there's also concerns about some of the MLS structures being way too close to the Speedway.
0: So Darrell Waltrip, legendary NASCAR driver and legendary analyst in the Fox booth, is set to retire at the end of the 2019 NASCAR season after a 19-year run with Fox. They made the announcement at Bristol in a press conference, a place that he won 12 times and 7 in a row.
1: More news coming out of Nashville. Charlie Marlin underwent his third brain surgery for Parkinson's. Marlin was diagnosed with the disease in 2012. So, some news out of the Dragon Speed camp. They
0: announced that 22 year old James Allen is going to join their IndyCar program as a test driver, uh, alongside their regular IndyCar driver, Ben Hanley.
1: This is breaking news hot off the presses, but Dale Jr. and Blake Cook have formed a new partnership. Uh, in filter time. Uh, Dale Jr. has announced today that he will become a co-owner of the company.
0: So motorsport.com announced they uh, released an article talking about uh, IndyCar and Japan and the possibility of it happening and Mark Miles is saying that that is not as much of an option as they thought it was going to be as the series looks to expand internationally
1: nascar released the xfinity series and truck series schedules for next year in 2020 it has some really exciting news on it uh first of which richmond will return to the truck series schedule first time since september of 2005 and martinsville will return to the xfinity series schedule for the first time since july of 2006 along with other schedule changes as previously mentioned on other podcasts and for the Xfinity series, Mid Ohio will move to an early May date, possibly a companion race with IMSA next year.
0: Oh, well, you definitely know I'm going to that if it's IMSA and Xfinity. That'd be a great show. We have a guest tonight on the Pit Limiter podcast. It's our fourth guest, and honestly, like I'm not gonna lie, when we when we first sat down, and we're like, "All right, who do we want as a guest?" And probably the first journalist that I had on my list. Was this man right here? Welcome everybody to the podcast, Dominic Oregon, How are you doing, buddy?
2: Hey, Jack. Thanks for for having me on. I'm glad to, to finally make it on the podcast. It's been a yeah. so long overdue. Sure.
0: <laughs> We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, about really over a month now. It's it's good to have you on. Good that the the schedule's finally lined up.
2: Exactly. Good good week out here back home in Mexico after being on the road the the first five weekends of the year. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy to to dive in and talk NASCAR.
0: So for those of you that don't know Dominic, he is the founder and editor-in-chief at the Racing Experts, uh, founded in 2010, kind of kind of, give me the backstory to, to where the Racing Experts came from.
2: Yeah, so when I was in high school, I was a student at Grants High School in Grants, New Mexico, had the opportunity to work with some really good English teachers and kind of found a, a love for journalism and writing even more. So I always kind of had a strong interest and in, I guess was naturally curious about events and and finding out information and, and while there as a sophomore at the high school in 2010, early 2010, I ended up getting to work with the school newspaper and was able to land a few interviews with some NASCAR drivers so we could run some feature style stories for the, the paper. And as the summer kind of drew on, looked into having an opportunity to work with with another NASCAR independent news outlet that's that's still around today i won't say the name because it's not fair to those guys but ultimately was not hired for a position after applying there so kind of got me thinking and there were a couple of guys that were interested in kind of doing the same thing i was doing why don't we just start our own website why don't i start my own website and we can we can try to figure it out from there and we launched the racing experts in 2010 and kind of started off as a, a little bit of block style website but we would kind of rehash news and kind of look to interview drivers, and I think over the off-season there in 2011, we were able to break some some front-page news there on jsky.com and for us especially at that time, it was huge to, to have some good news, good stories on Joni Niemicek and Brian Keselowski and Jeffrey Bodine get on that front page because we're being exposed, exposed to the whole NASCAR industry there, and you have hundreds of thousands of people looking at jsky.com every day for the, for the news and to be up there featured in top news i think really kind of landed a little bit of credibility and as the years kind of kicked off we ended up getting credentials for our first races in 2014 and just the the ball kind of got rolling from there we we brought on jeff bodine actually as our marquee driver analyst in 2015 and had an alliance there a few for a few years with with espn radio albuquerque and i think that bolstered our credibility a little bit as well and here we are in 2019 and we have a small little but dedicated staff, most of these races and most of the events that they have to do with NASCAR and all the national series. So it's It's been a dream come true, especially for somebody who grew up in a small town in New Mexico and New Mexico is not necessarily the breeding grounds for for racers or for, for the NASCAR industry, because we're, we're like 1,500 miles away from the hub that is Charlotte, North Carolina, but it, it's been certainly a dream come true, and I'm, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to be able to to still make a stab at that and try to, try to make it a full-time career.
1: You know, you say that New Mexico is not the racing
2: capital, but you do have the answers after all. I mean, you could have made the jump to Indy after all. <laughs> that That is true. The Unser family is really big out here. There's a there's a great museum that the family has out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where they're from. And Al Sr. and Al Jr. both champions of, of the 500. Al Sr., a champion of, of CARP slash IndyCar. And actually, Al Jr. is the last New Mexican to compete in the Daytona 500. He ran a one-off deal with Hendrick Motorsports in the 93 500, driving the 46. Sponsored by oh, Dolby. that's right. He crashed out, I think, about 20 laps in, but he was the last New Mexican to do so. And we did have a guy from Aztec, New Mexico. It's a small town in the northwest part of the state near the Four Corners named Alex Kennedy, who was able to make it to the Cup Series. and He ran for Rookie of the Year on a part-time schedule in 2015. He hasn't competed in NASCAR since 2016, but it was just cool to think that there was somebody from, from our own backyard who made it to the Cup Series and recent as well.
1: I completely forgot about Alex Kennedy. I
2: remember him, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, really cool to see him get that opportunity with Circle Sport. definitely wasn't a race-winning car, but I know he was able to learn a lot as a racer logging laps there. And I think he was able to knock off a few top 25 finishes given the the circumstances.
0: Yeah, I mean, no doubt being in the Cup Series, doesn't matter what team you're with. You make it to the Cup Series, I mean, you've definitely done something right at some point along your career. True. Very, very true. So talk to me about, you know, being on the road and – and 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 you've even said yourself you guys aren't on the road every week you know covering covering NASCAR but tell me what it's like a week in the life of Dominic Oregon being on being on the road and 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 going to the track and and you know what what does a weekend at the track entail
2: uh, great question so for example let's say that it's on 500 this year uh, i flew out of New mexico on I believe it was the the tuesday night before the daytona 500 got to orlando on wednesday spent some time with our crew out there and one of our our crew guys he has an uncle who lives up in ormond beach which is about 15 miles from the track so it saved us a lot there on launching but it was good to catch up with his uncle we were at the track thursday through sunday and they, they are long hours I, i'm not going to kid you on that you we showed up on thursday for the duels and the practice and stuff we were there about a good I'm going to say 10 or 11 hours, because we had to get there in the morning. We had a a fellow comrade who had to broadcast for for Fox Sports Kansas City. So we were there early. Friday, we were there all day because of the truck race. Xfinity race was kind of our our earliest day out in the Sunday of the Daytona 500. We probably put in about a good 50 hours of work there at the track. And actually, yeah, flew in that Tuesday. And that, that Wednesday before was media day at the Daytona 500, or at the Daytona International Speedway, I should say. You had all your Daytona 500 would be competitors make media availabilities throughout the day, these little breakout sessions, about four to six drivers at a time. So I, altogether, I'm going to say we put in about 50 to 60 hours of, of work there in that five days. But to be honest with you, it did not feel like work. When, when you're out there at the racetrack and you grew up a fan of the sport, and then you're, just, you're amazed to be there, it's, it's such an amazing feeling to be there at the racetrack, knowing that you're, you're out there working and your job's there to, to cover NASCAR and tell the stories. And it's been so much fun. It, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, it's on, it's not unheard of for even like a three day show. We're putting in close to 40 hours of, of work between Friday, Saturday and Sunday, but it's, it flies so fast. And you're always looking forward to that next opportunity. You can go to the racetrack. Wow. Yeah. And not to mention too, we're sitting there in the media center. We're waiting press conferences and we usually have, an editorial meeting Friday morning with our guys who are at the staff and at the track and the guys who are helping us out remotely during the weekend we'll just kind of make sure we're not stepping on each other's toes cuz organization is key when it comes to working in media and we have to make sure hey person A is doing this person B is doing this person C is doing this and just so we make sure we're all flowing smoothly and yeah it, it's it's a lot of logistics it's a, it's a lot of fun it's it's fun to be on the road and Fun to see different places you would have other neverwise otherwise have gotten to see, especially being a small kid from small town New Mexico. But at the end of the day, too, it's nice to return home to see your family, to your friends, to sleep in your own bed, to have home cooked meals. It, it it's it's been a good balance.
0: So tell me about you know when you first started covering races, go into the track. Did you have any mentors along the way? Did you kind of seek out any other fellow journalists to you know ask for advice you know what kind of advice have you gotten
2: along the way yeah i that's a great question i've i would say that first time the first time i was ever credentialed to a nascar sanctioned race weekend was the 2014 phoenix spring race at ism raceways the profit on cnbc 500 race weekend where harvick won his first race with Stuart haas and during the weeks prior. I was messaging any journalist I could think who worked in the sport, just letting them know I I've gotten this opportunity. What would you recommend? And 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 I heard back from people like Bob Pockras, Nate Ryan, Jeff Gluck, Jenna Fryer, all these people just like yeah, just make sure you dress appropriately, make sure to to bring your computer. There's there's resources here available, just treat it like a day at the office, but you're not at the office. It was kind of the vibe I got on that. And I, one guy I got to give a lot of credit to, he doesn't cover NASCAR as much anymore, but better journalist Stanley Creekmore. He, he worked in the sport for over 35 years, and he was somebody I befriended early on in those early days. And Stan even came aboard with the racing experts for a couple of months in 2016 to do some consulting for us and help us out. And he was somebody I learned a lot about the sport through, whether that be cultivating sources and Trying to, to to keep that curious edge, just becoming a better writer, or polishing up, speaking. If I'm gonna do something on camera or do something with the radio station. So. So Stan Creekmore was, was somebody who was instrumental, and i, I got to give David Swope credit, too, out at ESPN Radio Albuquerque. He's somebody who managed San Diego Motor Speedway, helped kind of lay the groundwork for the K&N West Series to come out to, to Albuquerque, and he ended up jumping ship to ESPN Radio and kind of partnered with him after learning about it through a mutual friend and learned the ropes through David because he knows a lot of people and just kind of learned what to do and not what to do. So I would say those two people really stick out to me, especially on those early days in and, and, and trying to figure out the sport and in the ins and outs. So you said it yourself, you know, you 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 don't do
0: this alone. You've got you've got a a staff on your hands that that help, kind of help you uh, get things done. Uh, tell me about your staff members.
2: What what's it like working with some of your guys? Yeah, we've got about I'm going to say about six to ten guys between photographers and and multimedia reporters. And yeah, Matt Corson, who's our managing editor currently, is. Really been instrumental. He's been our logistics guy the last couple of years, so he'll coordinate a lot of our travel, make sure we're all on the same page, and help us with our editorial meetings. I, I immediately think of Justin Lillo. He's been around with us now five years. Actually, <laughs> we were just texting about that a, a few days back. How, gosh, it's already been five years since he joined, and 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 we brought him on. So, so those two, I think of Kyle McFadden. He's he's another one of our East Coast stringers. He's he's done work for the Washington Post and. He's covered some some grassroots racing, he's done some world of outlaw coverage as well for other papers. And he he brings a a wealth of experience. I I also think of James Jackson, somebody I've known about 10 years. And we brought him to the fold about two years ago, and just to see his progress, long, a lot of progress, I should say, in a short amount of time in two years, just to just to be able to work with James and and our photographers, Kyle Stevens, Chris Madrid, Sherry Eaton, Dante Ricky, all these guys. They they really, really make a huge difference for us. And and it doesn't hurt having Jeff Bodine as well as our marquee driver analyst. He'll he'll kind of weigh in on some hot topics when a hot topic arises and gives us his insight and perspective. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people like to listen to, to people's voices, but especially when you have a former driver. So we have a small staff compared to some of these other independent sites where you have twenty or thirty staffers, we've got about six to ten of us. But it's it's for sure quality, not quantity and, and um, I'm proud of our staff, and I'm proud of all the accomplishments we've done. We win as a team and we lose as a team and we've We've had a fun journey along this way the last few years. I do remember quite a few years ago you
1: did offer me a chance to uh work with the racing experts, and you know I turned it down then. kind of wish I would have you know stuck with it and maybe you know helped you along
2: the way with this journey yeah, I mean we're always. Open to to giving people a shot. And if anybody's interested in seeing what we do, we're at TheRacingExperts.com. If anybody wants to, to email and find out more, they can shoot us over an email at info, I-N-F-O, at TheRacingExperts.net is our is our inbox so yeah it's it's been a fun journey it's been so much fun i've met so many people and visited so many states and seen so many cool things i would have otherwise never have gotten to see had this website not been started so being turned down for uh, for a writing position in high school i think was one of the best things that could have ever happened because it just kind of snowballed from there and like avalanched into this big this big cool project as, as i call it it's been so much fun to to be able to go travel the country and I, To be honest with you guys, I even left my my job at the NBC affiliate. I had a great paying gig in Albuquerque working for KOB TV, the NBC affiliate out there to take a chance on this because I, I, I thought we would see some potential growth with this and took a gamble on myself and I would say it's paid off because I'm going to look back on the rocking chair 40, 50 years from now when I'm thinking back on 2018 and 2019 and just thinking how fun, how fun of a time that was and just to think had the chance to, to work in the sport that I, I grew up loving the most is 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 so much fun. And I think it's proof of don't let anybody tell you you can't do what you you can't do or that you want to do because I had so many people discourage me, but just use that as fuel. You set your mind to something and, yeah, sure, you catch a lucky break here, that helps too, but if you set your mind to something, you put the hard work in, your dreams can come true.
0: Now, having Jeff Bodine as, as an expert analyst – no, I don't He
2: gives us the real racing expert. Tally they're like when we say the racing expert he's the racing <laughs>
0: expert. <laughs> he's the chief racing expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But having him obviously is, is is a big uh benefit, but you you're also working on a
2: project with him. Are you allowed
0: are you allowed to talk about that project that you're working with him
2: on? Well, I I really can't say too much about it right now, but I will say that we're we're working on something pretty cool, and I and I hope we get to announce it really soon. I've I've kind of teased before that it's a special project with with Jeff. It's it's not something we're quite ready to announce yet, but it, it is it is in the in the works. It is down the pipeline, so we're we're really excited about that. I, I'm giving you totally a PR answer there. I wish I could tell you more. <laughs> but it, it's been a fun project, and we we really can't wait to tell more about it. But the, the timing just got to be right on that.
0: Yeah. I completely understand. That's like one of those. Uh, I'm just here so I won't get fined answers. <laughs>
2: Plus the new media policy, which, by the way, if you're a reporter, you love this new NASCAR obligation media policy because since the Daytona 500 after group qualifying on Fridays, it used to be such a scramble to get these guys because they do it in three three rounds, so you would have your 25th through whatever cars. Everybody would leave pit road right after and just scramble back to their haulers or, or to their motorhomes. Now all the drivers are required to go to this bullpen near your victory lane at most of the tracks and talk to the media. You have about 10 to 20 media there covering the sport every week. You have, for example, Claire B. Lane with Sirius XM or Jerry Jordan with kicking the Tires and Performance Racing Network. And it's just providing this opportunity for radio stations to fill in with more audio, your, your journalists like myself to be able to write more stories, because all these guys are getting flooded through, and they're required by NASCAR. So it's, it's, it's been one of those cool changes to see.
1: So as somebody who covers the sport for the last 10 years or so, I'd just like to ask, you know, NASCAR is going through a transition right now i mean we announced major schedule changes for the first time in i don't know how many years and with somebody that works a little bit closer say with the sport what is the general vibe of uh you know your fellow media members or the drivers about these changes and how nascar is moving you know looking forward
2: well i think nascar's kind of answered the The requests of the fans, and I think the media and some of the drivers certainly share that same sentiment. Because, in talking with different media members over the, the last year, we'll call it, they've wanted to see shorter schedule or shake up the schedule where we're not having the same championship race at Homestead. And, and And I think NASCAR answered that. and Look at the the schedule next year; we're ending two weeks earlier. Kevin Harvick was was talking with the media in March Auto Club race or Club speedway, excuse me. And he was saying it wouldn't be a bad idea to even end the season even sooner, maybe late September. We're not really conflicting with the NFL. And because I think a lot of a lot of drivers and teams and everybody like it before that. But you run into the problem with as of right now with the with the current contracts that expire next year with the tracks. Like, yeah, there's there's venues to get two races a year. There's T V money. There's a, there's there's so many moving parts that go into that question but i think for for the current contract they have i think nascar played around the schedule and tweaked it around as much as they can i mean look at the pocono race weekends i mean we're gonna have two cup series races back to back on a saturday and a sunday and i i don't know off the top of my head but i know the cup series used to run what 40 50 60 races before the modern era and it wasn't it wasn't unheard of to see venues have two races in three days kind of thing but it's making me wonder how that's going to be. I, that's kind of cool. I mean, I'm really excited that the championship finale is going to be in my own backyard, essentially. I mean, Phoenix is the closest city to me that hosts a NASCAR race I'm living here in New Mexico. So don't have to hop on a plane now to go cover the championship. Right? That's kind of <laughs> cool. So, but i look at it from that, that standpoint. That's awesome. But I, I remember even telling Matt Corson, our, our managing editor, too. And, So he's from Tennessee, and and Bristol has that history with NASCAR. And and to see Bristol finally get a playoff race, I think, shows the importance of not only short track racing. I think NASCAR is listening to the fans about the short tracks. They're putting more weight on the short tracks. And I told Matt last year, I think Bristol – it's a shame that Bristol does not have a playoff race and, and look at that. They've, they've made the change, making Martinsville, the, the round of eight cutoff. I mean, they're putting a lot of emphasis here on the, on the short tracks, having Darlington in the playoffs. And I think the most exciting change, at least for me, is looking at Daytona as your season. Oh, it's the, re- the regular season finale, because yeah, that was held in July, and that was race 17, race 18. That was really the last chance for cars to to make the playoffs that otherwise may not have, unless it's a fuel mileage win or a rain-shortened race, i.e. Chris Busher. But now that you have that in September, all these teams for lower points have the chance to knock out somebody who's been in the playoffs, mostly on points, like a, like a 14th or 15th place driver. So that opens up the door even more. Maybe it is a little bit of artificial excitement, but I still think it's excitement nonetheless.
1: Now, my, whenever I saw the schedule release, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I wasn't a fan of the Daytona race and the Indy race switching, because tradition, such like that. Exactly. But the only thing now I'm concerned about is, you know, early September in Florida, that's hurricane season. Hurricane season, yeah. So That's true. So if the race gets delayed because of a hurricane, we're looking at a championship finale held at Daytona. Yikes. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't even want to imagine what that would be like. That would just be
0: nuts. Beginning and ending the season at Daytona.
2: That would be kind of cool. I mean, leading your fate up to a super speedway race is your championship. It's truly a wild card. (laughs) That'd be be certainly exciting, but very nerve-wracking for the teams involved. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So life has really changed for you a lot in the last six months, I'd say, Dominic. You guys are going to the racetrack a lot more. Um, actually, 20, 24 to going on 25 this year. You just got engaged back in January, if I remember correctly. Yes, sir. And you're currently working on becoming a history teacher. Talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Well, it's funny. I was talking with the with the principal, my boss now at Grant's High School, and well, as we all know, there's a, there's a nationwide shortage on teachers, and they had an opening for a driver's ed position. It came down between driver's ed and history, and I said, okay, think about it like this, Mr. Weiner. Do you really want a motorsports reporter teaching these kids how to drive? And he burst out laughing. I said, uh, it doesn't matter where you, you put me. Either position is fine. And it's it's been a part of the family business. As we'll call it my mom's a teacher. Her sister's a teacher. Her my Aunt's husband's a teacher. My grandfather was superintendent out here. I mean, just it runs in the family. So I guess it was just embedded in my DNA. Embedded, excuse me, in my DNA to be able to do it eventually. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it because it's going to be a little bit of a of a career change. So NASCAR won't be doing it won't be a full time thing anymore. But I'll still be able to do part time and go to marquee events and go to the drivable West Coast races. So no, it's it's going to be exciting. And I, I compare reporting and journalism to history kind of on that concept where it's fact, it's concrete fact, it's straightforward on, on what you're teaching. And journalism I see is the first draft of history. And I, I think the two kind of lend themselves together. So it, it's definitely going to be a little bit of a career change come August, but I'm, I'm really excited for that too. And there's, there's been no regrets. If I could do it all over again, I would do it exactly the same because I've, I've had so much fun doing this. I've covered 55 NASCAR race weekends, I've gotten to go to the, the white house, for NASCAR, I've gotten to do test sessions, the, the awards, big stuff I would have always never been, to, been able to do. And if I could tell 10 year old Dominic to, uh, any advice, just just keep at it. It's going to pay off. And, and it's, been, it's been fun, man. I've gotten to knock off a lot on my bucket list at 24 and really excited to, to just do what I love. And I'm very blessed and very deep in my faith and, and have a lot of faith in God. And I'm very thankful because I know it can all be taken away tomorrow.
1: That's a good outlook on it. That's an excellent outlook, actually.
2: I, I love your thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun, and and then priorities have definitely changed with with getting engaged over the the NASCAR off season. And, and my fiance is very supportive of whatever I want to do, so I think that's really cool. And then, not to say my family hasn't, but everybody's been supportive on on this this crazy adventure, and it's it's just been it's been a fun ride for sure.
1: So you mentioned
2: that you got to
1: experience some things that you never thought you would. I just want to ask, what was the, I guess, two questions here. What was the most eye-opening thing that you've done as a journalist with NASCAR? And what was your, I guess, favorite venue that that you didn't think
2: you would ever get to visit? Those are really good questions. I'm going to say, so on that second question, I think that I always wanted to go to Pocono as a kid. Just always thought it was such a cool racetrack to be shaped like a triangle, and then having that chance to go in 2015. And uh, I don't know if you guys know who Joseph Walken is, but he was a journalist for Frontstretch.com at the time, and he and I developed a really close friendship. He's one of my best friends, and he invited me up to to where he lives in New York, and we road tripped out to Pocono, made the two-hour drive, and met Justin malo out there for the first time. And it was just a lot of fun to to be able to do that. I think covering the championship weekend in 2015 is one I'll never forget, and having I mean, you're not supposed to have favorites as a reporter, right? Well, little Dominic was a big Jeff Gordon fan growing up. And to be there when Jeff Gordon climbed out of the race car for the final time, he gives Rick Hendrick this huge hug. And they're both crying. The TV cameras right there. I was about five feet back that that was so cool. That That's something that's always going to stick with me. And I think as far as the eye opening experiences, I think. There's been a lot, but I think being able to go to the White House and and cover Martin Truex Jr. being honored by President Donald Trump last year was one of the, the coolest experiences of my life. And we got a five days notice on that, ended up scrambling to book airfare out of Albuquerque, which if anybody's ever flown into Albuquerque, they know it's not cheap because it's a smaller <laughs> airport and there's not a, the Southwest hub left a few years ago but anyway was able to find some last minute airfare we made it happen got to the white house we almost didn't make it to the white house because our managing editor matt corson's car ended up picking up a a flat tire there hit a curb in the the raleigh durham area so we were we were so far out of dc that sunday night but we got we limped the car to a discount tire we kind of fixed that morning got a few hours of sleep and made it to the white house definitely an eye-opening experience there to just to be there on the white house grounds and See the president with my own two eyes, like forty feet ahead of me, with with Truex's seventy-eight team, and and Truex and and Sherry Pollux There, it was just such a cool experience. Stuff I'm gonna remember for sure for the rest of my life.
0: Oh, no doubt, no doubt. We got we got a new segment, and and this is really for both you guys, because uh, and, and our listeners as well, because uh, this is something we want to do weekly. Tuesday trivia. All right, so I got a question I want to ask every week. It's a different question, obviously. Ooh. Kind of de- diving deep into the obscurity of motorsports. If you know the answer, tweet at us at thepitlimiter on Twitter. Use the hashtags pitlimiterpodcast and Trivia Tuesday. So the question is, gentlemen, and for our listeners, Dale Jr., aka Redneck Jesus of NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> has has driven four different numbers in his C- Cup Series career. Which four numbers are they, and for what teams?
2: Are we counting two different tenures for the same number or totally different numbers?
0: We're talking totally different numbers. Well,
2: I guess define what, what you're asking. I, well, um, first thought, I was thinking, well, that first tenure with DEI with the 8 team when he was part-time in the movie, the full-time. But the more I think about it, I mean, the two obvious to me would be the 8 with Dale Earnhardt Incorporated and then the 88 with Hendrick Motorsports. But. He also drove the 5 uh,
1: in relief of Bush at Texas. So that's three. There's right. one more. There's one more. There's one more. Was well, it a relief effort or was it an actual race? It is an actual race.
2: Was it a points
0: awarding race? It is not. Oh, that okay that's where it stopped. That's me. that's the last hint that I'm gonna give though. He drove the one at Motegi. Correct. Ding there ding ding. Yeah. All four numbers, two of that which for go. DEI. He drove the Coca Cola number one car at Motegi in ninety eight. Actually had a fam- really a famous battle with, with uh, Senior. Ended up getting a shoe tossed at him that. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, drove the Budweiser car and then uh, drove the 88 for Hendrick. But before he drove the 88 for Hendrick uh, actually uh, was a relief effort in the 5 car at Texas because Kyle Busch left the track, thought the car had been retired and pulled from the event and it was ready to go back on track. They needed a driver, Junior hopped in and the rest is history.
2: There you go. Well, and a little bit of food for thought. Being the unofficial stats guy for the racing experts, I did a little bit of research on this. Dale Earnhardt Jr., I don't know if you guys know this or not, holds the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series record for the most wins, but none of them were ever back-to-back. So he, he earned 26 wins in the Cup Series. He never went back-to-back weekends in points awarding. Races. Oh, geez. He holds the record for the most wins ever to never go back-to-back at 26.
0: And that's very interesting because you look at his 2004 season where he won six races. You look at 2014 where he won four races. 2015 where he won three races. That's interesting that none of those were back to back. Here's another
1: interesting stat about Dale Jr. You know, okay, in Daytona in July, he won the pole, but that was a rainout. But he has never won a race from the pole that was actually qualified out in the Cup Series ever.
2: That is insane. I mean, Dale Jr. lore there. And I think even on that list, too, the guys that never went back-to-back wins. I mean, Terry Labonte never went back-to-back in his career. Ricky Rudd never went back-to-back. Truex has never gone back-to-back, which is hard to believe. Uh, yeah, believe. that's actually really surprising. <laughs> it, exactly. He's been so close, too, especially that run there in 2017 and 2018. And the same thing there with Ryan Newman and Casey Kane. So kind of a little bit of shockers there.
0: Right, yeah, Ryan Newman's explosive season in 2003. Kane's explosive season in 06. That's Yeah, that's really surprising. Now there's one last thing that we want to talk about on the podcast, and it's something that, ah, gosh, I I don't understand, I, I kind of understand and I don't understand at the same time where fans are coming from, when they complain about this, and it all kind of ties in together. So there's been a lot of pessimism around NASCAR recently, and it's not been just this year, it's not been... The last two years, it's been going on for a while, I think. Some of it's justified, I think. Some of it's constructive criticism. Some of it seems like it's just people complaining to complain. Um, There have been—I've seen like one thing. I try not to do when I'm watching a race is to scroll through Twitter, because generally, when you scroll through Twitter, you see some—you see some pretty obnoxious opinions. Generally, the people making these opinions aren't people that are watching the race. Uh, And if they are, they're looking for negative things to say just because it's easy to cherry pick negative things that happen in NASCAR, apparently. A lot of people were complaining on Twitter, and I noticed this after the race, I didn't see it during the race, were complaining about hotel pricing and the low attendance. And for, for a reference, a lot of hotels around the Bristol area are going for about $300 a night, some of which even three-night minimums. So that would mean, and this is just for the week of the Bristol races. So that would mean three-night minimum, you're there the whole weekend. Um, and then you see the people saying, well, there's no attendance, so what's what's the point in going to a race? To to the point I say, if you're not going go to go to a Bristol race because... You, you don't want to pay $300 for a hotel camp. I, I can't tell you how many races that I've gone to with my dad. Uh, we went to Kentucky several years I, for the truck races, for the Xfinity races. We went to Kentucky, and it, it, this was almost a yearly tradition. We would go to Kentucky. We'd drive three and a half hours just to go to this race. We would we would sleep in my mom's van. We'd take my mom's van. We'd lay down the seats lay out our sleeping bags, we'd crack open the windows so we wouldn't suffocate because it was like late June, early July, and we'd sleep in the van after the race, and we'd wake up the next morning and drive home, as soon as we get home, we shower. But I mean these tracks have showers in their bathrooms you can sleep in your car, you can pitch a tent, and there's a lot of people that have campers, pop-up campers, RVs it's not if you want to go see a cup race you don't have to stay in a hotel that okay you when you look at the stereotypical nascar fan all right and i'm not generalizing all nascar fans with this you look at the stereotypical nascar fan you know nascar grew up as a southern sport we all didn't grow up in beverly hills all right so we don't all have to stay in a hotel <laughs> i think it's fair to say it's it's very nice i i will say you know being able to travel and stay in a hotel and get all cleaned up and and, and all that it it is very nice but it's not a necessity i would say
2: well there's airbnbs and i think there's other means to do it as well like certainly teaming up with people if you know there's people going to venue to pitch in for a hotel or, or an airbnb rental property so so there are options it, it does suck to see that there is some price gouging i totally get why businesses are doing they're being advantaged, and you could even argue that they're exploiting the situation but yeah i, I think that turns off a lot of people on going to these races because Why pay $300 a night at a hotel when you can sleep in your own bed, watch it on TV, and not have to fight traffic at the end of the race? Just turn your TV off. And TV does a good job of of portraying the the race. And you can be watching the race and have a leaderboard up on your phone or your laptop or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, TV does such a good job. I think that's why a lot of fans would rather like to pay for a premium cable package and watch it at their house and watch it in their comfort. I mean, yeah, you will still have your diehards that are going to go to the racetrack and spend money, but – not everybody's gonna shell out a thousand dollars on a race weekend. Definitely,
1: exactly, and that and that's the biggest thing. No one's, you know, we're past that day and age where you know the middle, you know, it's a little bit socioeconomic because some of the NASCAR fans, you know, after the recession, most bank accounts were drained, so they don't have that extra money to just be spending a grand to go to a racetrack. Some people just want to, you know, go out to the race and. You know, that's it. Or you know, spend as minimal cost as possible. I could say that the last couple races I went to, I went to Martinsville, I went to Martinsville 2017, uh, the Chase Elliott battle, uh, the Xfinity race at Richmond last year, and the Cup race at Dover. And all of those are within driving distance. No hotels, no anything. Just because I was not willing to, you know, spend astronomical amount of money on
2: staying overnight. I don't blame you. You're lucky you have that. My closest drivable track is ISM Raceway, five and a half hours for about 300 miles one way. So you're lucky you you guys have tracks closer. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and, okay, so one thing that I constantly, constantly pops in my mind when I think of, you know, NASCAR fans complaining about this or that or the other, when I think of people not wanting to go to a race, all right, we live – it, it, this is 2019. All right. Look down in your lap, or at your desk, or in your pocket. Every, almost everybody has one. Your smartphone. It. it I mean, go to a race and look around. At some point, somebody's going to be buried in their phone. And it's not going to be one. It's going to be several people buried in their phone. I went to the Indy 500 two years ago. I've gone, you know, every year since. Two years ago, there's a, a father and son combination sitting a couple rows ahead of me kid was buried in his phone halfway through the race and i mean it's it, this was it's the indy 500 like this was back in the old aero kit so it was the racing was fantastic there's passes every lap the lead changed the lead changed quite a bit and this kid's buried in his phone and his dad finally turned and looked at him was like dude put the phone away <laughs> and he the kid put the phone away but we live in an era now where People can't go five minutes without looking at their phone, and and it's easier to you know sit on your phone and and scroll through Twitter from the comfort of your own home than it is at the racetrack. We're not shelling out hundreds of dollars to be there,
2: or paying for overpriced beer, overpriced concession food, or <laughs> dealing exactly because a lot of people don't like the noise. I I, I think yeah. that's one of the appeals to me. I love the loudness of NASCAR. And yeah, of course you put hearing protection in, but a lot of people don't like that. And I think. Especially with our generation, people don't have the attention spans. I don't think people no. are into cars and automotives like our dads were and our grandparents were.
0: Definitely not. It's all no. technology and
1: what's what's hot right now. But that would be a perfect opportunity for NASCAR to try to you know capture. You know they're talking about trying to capture an audience, but you know the only way to do that is to actually follow trends, and trends are smartphone use. That's You know, it's been a big thing for the past 10 years. Now, one thing I think you can make a case for
0: NASCAR, because, gosh, I mean, the Bristol night race, okay? So, you know, you look at the Bristol day race, the Bristol night race. Polar opposites. Bristol night race, you could argue, was almost a sellout. Bristol day race, not even close. The, The one thing that I think you can argue for Bristol or for any track out there is nascar is not the only organization professional organization might i add that is dealing with this problem it is it is a problem with the nfl it's a problem with mlb look at mlb stadium or diamonds on a you know a tuesday night it's probably not packed they look, if it's,
2: look, empty. They look like a practice
0: yeah especially if it's a day game not a night game yeah and it's it's an NFL problem. It's it's a world it's a it's a it's a national sports problem, okay? It's not just a NASCAR problem. But it's easy to cherry pick NASCAR because because cher- NASCAR has been I guess the butt of sports and motorsports for, for a while. It's easy to cherry pick NASCAR.
1: And you know, rightfully so. It was the number one watch sport. Or it was the number one spectator sport for the longest of time in America. You know, it's fallen off the map, almost back to a regional status. So it, it's kind of easy to ch- pick on it and say, you had everything. What happened? Yeah, yeah I
0: think true. I think it's just a trend, you know? I, I think it, that trend will come back around at some point, where motorsports will be hot, and it won't be just NASCAR. Remember, IndyCar was hot in the late 80s and, and into the 90s. Uh, remember remember lucas oil on the edge on speed channel you know speed channel in general you had lucas oil on the edge where they'd cover different forms of motorsports you had uh monster jam it was big at one point you have uh drag racing has kind of come and gone you know there's a lot of different forms of motorsports that were really hot at one point and 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 now it's just kind of falling off the map
2: you bring up a great point too, bringing up the media. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I'm first covering the sport in 2014 and going to places like Vegas or Phoenix and those media centers are just so full of all these different organizations coming to cover the sport. Daytona in 2016 was packed. I mean, I remember the deadline room was insane. And you look now and there was plenty of room last year and this year, tracks like Phoenix and Las Vegas, even the Daytona 500 this year, not as much media as even three years ago. So I think even media outlets are, aren't seeing the value in covering NASCAR like they once did.
0: Well, that's a good point. I don't think ESPN has a representative at the track anymore, do they? Because they got rid of Bob Pachris. He's they, with Fox now.
2: They got, rid, they,
1: of, they got rid of everybody. Yeah, pretty pretty really. They I mean, still
0: I mean, have Marty Smith, but he's with Ryan football. They, they oh, do yeah. some
2: special, special assignment kind of stuff, but you yeah. don't really see beat writers from, from ESPN at the racetrack anymore. No. Yeah, you see Marty Smith and Bob Pocker. Smith. Smith. was always a bunch of events. I remember Pockers pretty much covered the whole schedule for ESPN even last year. Yeah,
0: which I know that was kind of an awkward, uh, an awkward thing considering ESPN had come and left several times as a uh, as a as a network provider for NASCAR. So I know that was there's a lot of tense moments there. But yeah, regardless, I mean it's it interest in general i mean you look at sponsorship you look at networks you look at viewership you look at attendance it's all gone down but it's not just nascar that's dealing with this problem so for all of you that are out there listening to the ra- or watching the races on sunday put down your phone don't scroll through twitter during the race give us le- give us a few less headaches on sunday
1: and monday morning
2: Exactly. Enjoy, enjoying the race, live in the moment.
1: I think, well, just off topic, a lot of the issues are being caused by these, you know, self-proposed NASCAR YouTubers, you know, that have some type of fan base, and you know, they try to push their agenda on, uh, you know, the sport, and you know, it's people.
0: toxic sometimes. It is very toxic sometimes. Yeah. You get a cult following and you throw an opinion out there and everybody jumps on board with it. And I'm not throwing those guys under the bus. You know, they do what they do. They get viewers. They get, you know, they get some money out of that. But I think it hurts everybody's outlook on motorsports because they just think it sucks.
2: It sure is. I think you could even make the argument of like a cult of personality. Maybe that's too extreme of a comparison, but like how how dictators have that appeal and they they state their opinion and people kind of follow the masses. I think that's what you see with a lot of these YouTubers. They state their opinion and everybody hangs on that word. Yeah. Gosh.
0: Got got us all fired up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks Twitter. <laughs> Thanks Twitter. <laughs> uh, gosh. Exactly. I, I I enjoy looking through Twitter, but.
2: What I do on the race weekends, and I recommend this for anybody, especially if you know there's reporters out there at the racetrack, you can follow them on Twitter and then subscribe to their tweets where you get push notifications whenever yes. they tweet out. And I do that with all the journals who I know are at the racetrack or the NASCAR alerts kind of feed. So that way if I miss something, I can just look down and glance at my phone real quick and then get back to the race. Yeah.
1: My, my thing I always watch with, uh, with push alerts is Stern. I, I'm always watching Stern. Stern.
2: Yes. To see from exactly. Sporting. That Adam, sir, amazing. the guy—he's a really, really nice guy, and I'm just thinking—he's, I think, he's even younger than me. I think, dang, he really knows how to cultivate sources and and talk to people. And I, I'm sure we're three of a couple of thousand of people who, who instantly get those tweets because we want to know what he says. Adam, like nine times out of ten, breaks news before anybody else. Yeah, exactly. And Jeff
0: Gluck is another guy that I think is well respected within the industry.
1: Jeff, you got Bob. I mean, you got Nate
2: Ryan. Dustin he, Long is somebody who. Dustin Long, Dustin yes. Dustin Long, yes. He, yeah. He's another one I would say who's kind of a mentor early on. Dustin's a really nice guy, very approachable, and you can tell he really cares a lot about the sport as well.
0: Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Dominic. Uh, it, it was great to, to learn your story, to kind of take another perspective of what it's like to, to work in motorsports from the journalism side it, it was great having you on
2: i appreciate it and i, I think i'll have my my head cut off if i don't throw a shout out to these guys frank romero and kyle stevens are other photographers i should have mentioned earlier but no guys it's it's been fun to to share that story and i, I appreciate you giving me that platform to to do so it's been fun and i think any advice i can give to anybody is just pursue your dreams don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything because I'm an example of that. I, I came from a small town in New Mexico where there's no NASCAR and no racing in general, typically. And, and there's probably five fans in this whole town, me being one of them. <laughs> Getting the chance to, to work in the sport has been an incredible opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime. I feel very grateful and blessed to be able to do so and continue to do so. And, yeah, just really enjoy it. And don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do what you want to do. So Use that as tool. Well. So, tell us where we can find you on social media as well as the racing ex- experts. Yeah, you can find us online at theracingexperts.com. Make sure you put the words the in the domain because it'd to another one if you put just racing experts. But theracingexperts.com, you can email us info at theracingexperts.net. That's for story for another day. And then on Twitter at theracingexperts, R A C N, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash theracingexperts. We're actually rounding. 4,000 fans there on Facebook we've picked up a lot here in the last few weeks and we have some pretty cool giveaways scheduled once we hit the 4,000 mark with autographed things and some stuff from, from Jeff Bodine so we're really excited about that just stay tuned and look forward for the next opportunity to come on and talk and with you guys thanks for having me
0: yeah no problem and t- tell tell our listeners where, where they can find you personally
2: on social media Sure, they they can follow me on Twitter at Dominic Autogone. It's a blend of personal and auto racing stuff and everything in between. And they're on Instagram at Dominic Autogon and on Facebook at Dominic Autogone Journalist. So yeah, that, that's where everybody can find me. Or email me D Autogon.net. John Poole, where can they find
0: you on social media, buddy?
1: Well, they can find me at Twitter. At Poole, I, I, I. They can also uh, check me out on my gaming channel, JP3Gaming. I uh, have that on YouTube and JP3Gaming56 on Twitch. Follow me on Instagram
0: and Twitter, at ZBCannon4. Make sure you guys check out my karting page on Facebook, at Zach Buchanan Racing. Make sure you guys subscribe to my YouTube channel, Zach Buchanan. i got a lot of karting content coming out this year. Check it out. Make sure you guys follow the podcast on Twitter, at the pit Limiter. Make sure you guys like us on Facebook at the Pit Limiter Podcast. And subscribe to us on YouTube. If you miss an episode, we always upload them to YouTube. So you can always check them out there. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody.